Shalom and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman, Associate Director of Policy and Communications at Israel Policy Forum, recording from New York. And I'm Eli Koaz, Communications Director, recording from Vancouver, British Columbia. It's always a guessing game with me. It's just, it's... It's, it's, I, I could throw a dart at the map and wherever it lands, there's a high probability that you would be there. Yeah. Especially if it's near British Columbia. I guess. Well, do you, do you call it Vancouver, BC? Well, no, but I want to there. I mean, there's another Vancouver. Do you know where the other Vancouver is, Evan? Uh, uh, Washington. Final answer. Final answer. Well, very impressive. Very impressive. Yes, it's about four hours, four hours south of here. But I don't think uh, our listeners are listening to the podcast because of uh, uh, Northwestern uh, geography. No, but we're going to have our Northwestern Geography segment after the main part of the show. So if you are interested, if you're part of that small number, then you should stick around or fast forward. And we'll be talking all about British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, all those good ones afterwards. But what we're here for is to talk about Israeli political parties. Yesterday, August 1st, was the deadline for registering your political parties to run for the Knesset in September. So if you wanted to register a political party, if you had plans to do that, and if you didn't do so, I'm sorry, you missed the boat. You'll have to make it for the December election, which will inevitably happen. But So you didn't register your party yet, Evan? Well, I'm, I'm not an Israeli citizen. I, I am an American citizen, so I have no party to register. But I, I think that there, there are a sufficient number of parties registered, although it was not nearly as high, actually fairly low compared to the last election, um, including the number of parties that have a realistic shot at getting into the getting into the Knesset. Significantly less, yeah. And, and that's something that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. It looks like there are going to be only nine parties in the, in the 22nd Knesset uh, if that Knesset takes form and if we don't have uh, elections once again. I mean, the Knesset would obviously take form, but 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 there could not be a, a government. You mean if if there's a government? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean it was uh, everything's done happened uh, last night. Um, that was the deadline, and um, I mean I don't think we expected any big surprises. At the end, there was like a little bit of talk that maybe there would be uh, labor. Gesher would would somehow join uh, the Democratic Union. Uh, that that didn't work, um, but I, I think the the big news was that the uh, the new right wing, the United Right, the party that Ayala Shaked leads, that uh, consists of the New Right, Tkuma, and Habayta uh, Yehudi, uh, they there was a lot of talk that they were going to join up with the Kahanist parties, um, and that didn't come to fruition, um, and that has some. Uh, pretty significant uh, implications, I'd say, because uh, they're, I mean, they're around two uh, percent, um, maybe one point five percent of the popular vote. So that makes a difference, uh, two or three seats, and in, a, in an election where it seems that it's going to be pretty close uh, to whether or not Netanyahu will be able to form a coalition that just includes the ultra orthodox and the right wing uh, parties. 
um, those two, those two or three seats could could play a big role. And specifically includes the ultra orthodox and the right wing parties, except the Israel Beitenu, which is Avigdor Lieberman's party. And Lieberman is saying that he only wants a unity government. Previously, Netanyahu might have factored, would have certainly factored Lieberman into his calculations as to how many seats he could depend on, but not this time. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm I'm. For my, I know Lieberman's a pretty right-wing guy, but I'm not categorizing him as part of that block uh, just because he doesn't want to be part of it if the ultra-Orthodox were there. At least that's what his campaign has been all about. So I'm putting him, like, I know, I'm putting him kind of in the center because he's, he, he, he's made a lot. And also, I mean, he, he's made a... There was a poll uh, yesterday that came out that said, 50% of Israelis prefer a unity government with Kaholavan uh, and Likud, and that's been the Lieberman campaign. As you can see, his people thought that uh, his kind of rise in the polls was superficial just because he kind of carried Israel to uh, elections and stood up to Netanyahu, but he's, he, he's growing. Uh, he's up to 11 seats in, in the last uh, poll, so he's in... He's in a pretty good position, and it looks like uh, that it, the most likely scenario a month and a half away is that he will be the kingmaker and he will decide Netanyahu's fate. Yeah, I, w- I would just add that Lieberman, you know, we, we're putting him in the political center. He certainly, ideologically, he's on the right, but that is his stated preference as, as a unity government. And I think he's even said also that if Netanyahu doesn't accept a unity government, then he would shift his support over to Benny Gantz. Well, he, and he also said he would his first base for support would be whichever party has the most seats. And that's also not clear. Probably more likely that that will be Likud, but, but not a sure thing. And then afterwards, uh, yeah, he said whoever would support making a unity government. And obviously... It looks unlikely that Netanyahu would be that guy. Uh, for Netanyahu, the pro- the obvious priority is is immunity from uh, the investigations and the indictment, uh, the indictments against him, and he's not going to get that with the unity government. He can only get that with a far right wing ultra orthodox coalition. Exactly. I know, Evan. You wanted to do. You wanted to go right into the party profiles, but I think it's appropriate for us to talk about Benny Gantz's. Uh, moment of the week. He, he made a pretty big boo-boo yesterday, and let me tell you something. Um, uh, Kahol Avan, their campaign has been pretty, pretty quiet uh, since, I mean, from the start, and it hasn't, surprisingly, it hasn't really hurt them uh, in the polls. I mean, we kind of had this scenario in, in last, in the, in the last election with Gantz not saying much, and people kind of, kind of waiting on him. So he, he, he came out with a, he was doing a press conference uh, this was uh, uh, this was the Thursday uh, in Israel, and he was asked if the Trump peace plan uh, is presented, will he sit in the government with Netanyahu? And he just said, uh, "Yeah, we'll do what's best for Israel." And then a few minutes later, he came back, <laughs> arranged for another press conference, and said, "Oh, I'm sorry, my hearing isn't great." And he pointed to his right ear and he said, "This is the ear of the the M16." obviously talking about his experience in the IDF uh, and that he doesn't hear well and that, of course, he would not sit with Netanyahu 
and that was a complete misunderstanding. Um, he just didn't hear the question. So maybe it would have been better if Kaholavan had maintained their strategy of just not saying anything at all. I mean, that's usually the best strategy for them. Um, also, because when usually when they say something, they don't have that much to say. It's just that enough of Netanyahu kind of. Thing. They don't really have clear messaging, clear uh, talking a little, points. A little light on substance. A little light on substance, but, you know, um, they are still, by all accounts, the, the clear alternative to Netanyahu. And for a lot of people, uh, that's, that's enough. Um, and that's what they want. So, I mean, that was Benny Gantz's moment. Um, should we start? Let's start going through the parties. Yeah, so last time there was an election, uh, long, long ago, back in April. Uh, leading up to that, we did a podcast where we went through each of the parties one by one, just to give our listeners an understanding of the cast of characters, because we're throwing out all these parties, all these names, and even with nine political parties, which is less than last time, that's probably more than an American audience is used to working with. Uh, it's not just Democrats and Republicans. So yeah, well, we have we have not. I mean, there are obviously more than nine. Right. I should say there's nine nine that are have a realistic shot of getting into the Knesset. So it's nine lists that does, there there are more than nine parties. Some of these uh, lists or factions are alliances of multiple parties. But for our purposes, there there are nine parties. And you know, if if some someone else gets into the Knesset, it's highly unlikely. Yeah, so let's start with the right. Okay, so let's let's talk about Likud. That's that's what, that's an easy one to talk about. Likud is the party of Benjamin Netanyahu. This is Israel's major, we could call it mainstream right wing party, even though they have adopted of late uh, positions or views that you and I might not call mainstream. But this is this is the big right wing block. They have thirty nine seats right now. That includes. Kulanu, which was a center-right socioeconomic issues-focused party that uh, they absorbed. I don't know if it says something about Likud or it says something about Kulanu that bringing that absorbing another party has actually the way it's panned out now in the polls. Likud is showing fewer seats despite having this other party. Um, Kahlon, most of Kahlon's uh, voters in 2015, he was able to bring voters from really a broad range um, from across the political map. Um, just focusing on on economic, social uh, issues. Um, a lot of them are probably Kacholavan people. A lot of them are Kacholavan people, but even people from all the way like to Meretz to Bennett. Like that's a huge, huge range of people. In the last elections, I don't think he 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 really focused on on the right. He he called it uh, a sane right. That was his slogan. Right, he was running the commercials with Menachem Begin. With the picture of Menachem Begin, so kind of beginning to narrow his his his, his base, and um, and now I think it's just uh, all the like he's not bringing any new voters to the Likud. There's or or very very few people that are following him, but I would say we're talking about like a couple of thousand people. Everybody else who wanted to vote for Kulanu because they represented something that was different than the Likud, I think they've gone. They've gone elsewhere. Probably to Kaholavan. Um, right. Talking about what, what Likud is about, again, this is Netanyahu's party. You know, the, the Likud platform is about economic liberalism, which doesn't really matter since the, the Israeli economy was privatized a couple decades ago. Um, in, in terms of our pet issue, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, they are against the establishment of a Palestinian state. We know that in December 2017, the Likud Central Committee 
overwhelmingly, and when I say overwhelmingly, I mean I think there was one vote against, uh, overwhelmingly voted to endorse uh, West Bank annexation or annexation of Area C of the West Bank. Uh, So um, Netanyahu himself endorsing annexation on the eve of elections back in April. So that's kind of where they stand. The party has fallen in line with trying to protect Netanyahu, insulate him from prosecution. There was some talk that some of Netanyahu's rivals, like uh, within Likud, like Gideon Saar um, or Michal Shir, would uh, maybe not support going to elections the next time. Uh, but the, the entire party ended up falling in line and supporting new elections. So that's where they stand. Should we move on to our next right-wing party, the United Right, appropriately named. Let's do it. All right, so the United Right. United Right is led by Ayelet Shaked, a uh, right-wing superstar. Uh, it's an interesting alliance of hard right to far right and, and everything in between. Well, not Ayelet as Shaked, far as it could have been. I mean, we could have seen... Uh, I mean, Bezalel Smotrich is pretty bad. He's bad. He, he, he would fit right in an Otsma. He would really, fit like, in I, an Otsma. But um, but not having Rafi the hardest element, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a negative or a positive. I mean, Lapid, uh, and I think that's the big thing uh, like to talk about is Lapid made a kind of he did a mini like social media campaign targeting Naftali Bennett um, and like Ayelet saying like you don't need these guys with you. You guys are you, if you guys have any respect for yourselves. But he was kind of in a way, uh, kind of welcoming, not really saying that they could be part of like a coalition with Kaholavan, but I don't like not ruling it out and saying like you you will be beyond the pale if you bring in these these guys. Um, but if not, I mean, like kind of leaving a door open. Before we talk about those inner workings, though, let's establish who these people are. So the United Right, as I said, it's an alliance of hard right to far right parties. It includes the new right, which is led by Ayelet Shaked, and Ayelet Shaked also leads the entire list. Uh, we'll get back to her in a moment because she doesn't, she sort of is the, the odd person out here. And then you have uh, Takuma or the National Union, uh, led by Bitsalel Smotrich, who's a really far right. He helped start the Regavim NGO, uh, which support all manner of mistreating Palestinians in the West Bank in, in terms of um, you know, seizing land and home demolitions. Um, he also is a uh, vicious homophobe. Of course, and he's also, I mean, he's spoken in support of even, uh, like, settler disobedience, uh, not just against Palestinians, but against Israeli uh, soldiers and police. Yeah. yeah, and he, he also, more recently, he, he's... I mean, in the past, he's spoken in favor of segregation. More recently, he was talking about different... Yeah, segregation at, at hospitals. I mean, he f- like famously almost said that, that he doesn't want his, his wife to give birth in a place where there are Arabs, I believe. Right. Yeah, and, and more recently, he was talking about different, effectively different systems of law for Palestinians and for Jews in terms of like the criminal punishment that someone would receive if a Jew committed a crime versus uh, a Palestinian, which in the West Bank is effectively the case uh, very often anyways, but he's outwardly in favor of that being formalized and that being like a permanent solution. And then you have Rafi Peretz, who is the head of Bayi Yehudi, uh, the Jewish home, and he 
courted controversy talking about his support for conversion therapy recently. Uh, so this is this is a real cast of characters. The thing with Ayelet Shaked, she's very popular. And this is the Ayelet Shaked is the leader of the New Right, and she's the leader also of the entire United Right list. She herself is a secular Israeli, but she's very popular. And so ultimately, she was able to secure leadership of the entire list, even though uh, the new right failed to pass the threshold in the last election. They didn't make it into the Knesset. Uh, Ayala Shaked and Naftali Bennett, who had previously been the head of the new right and previously been the head of Bayt Yehudi, they were left out. And now she is back on top and she is a rising star in right-wing Israeli politics. She definitely sees a place for herself in Likud. Benjamin Netanyahu and also, I should add, Sarah Netanyahu are not really comfortable with her being there. So she didn't have an opportunity to insert herself into Likud because Netanyahu wasn't going to let her. So now she's leading this united right list. As you mentioned, Eli, the Kahanist faction, Otsma Yehudit, will not be part of the united right list as they were last time. But again, from my perspective, not a whole lot better. And of course, on two-state solution annexation, they support annexation. So, I mean, you can ex- expect them to be the, uh, let's say, the champions of annexation in the next Knesset. Um, you can also, I mean, expect, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if they get to the point where they're in coalition negotiations uh, with Netanyahu, um, they will uh, probably... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see an offer like we saw with Smotrich of immunity uh, for uh, some sort of annexation promise or commitment uh, as in the coalition agreements. Um, and yeah, Ayala Chaked, she uh, this is purely based on popularity. She there, there's no electoral like achievement that she has to back up why she's leading uh, the United Right. It was just. Uh, I bet you like a bunch of internal polling uh, that she shared with Rafi Peretz and uh, with Smotrich during negotiations and also during, I'm sure, her talks with Naftali Bennett, who is on number four on the list after being uh, like the leader of uh, the party. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how, how she does, if her, her popularity uh, translates into electoral uh, success. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, what party do you right want? now? It's, it's worth noting that, like you said, Naftali Bennett was previously the head of Bayit Yehudi. He was previously the head of New Right when they started that party in the lead up to the last election. But already in the last election, even though Ayelet Shaked was number two, they were campaigning very heavily on Shaked's presence, and, and it was almost like she was she was equal to to Bennett. Uh, the party marketed itself as as a party with two with two leaders um but i guess they they i think shaked she just said it as a condition if she wants to come it, it, she just told i think Bennett if she's going to come back to the new, to the new right it's going to be in the no, number one position and that was also the conditions they laid out with the united right wing parties as well and they kind of uh, people may think that the United Right parties were in a better position because they actually had seats in the Knesset. Um, but once, I mean, they came into the negotiations with the New Right without having the Kahanists as part, and they were also in danger of the electoral threshold. So that's how, uh, combined with Ayelet's popularity, that's how this list was created. 
So let's do our next right-wing party, Yisrael Beitenu. So this is the party of Avigdor Lieberman. Lieberman actually had his worst finish ever in April. He came out with five seats. Yisrael Beitenu has been around for 20 years. They've never had such a, a small finish. Um, but just the way the numbers worked out and the way things fell, he actually ended up being the kingmaker. Um, when Netanyahu went to coalition negotiations, Lieberman recommended Netanyahu as prime minister in his consultations with uh, Reuven Rivlin. Uh, but when it came to committing to a coalition, Lieberman suddenly pulled up the issue of ultra-Orthodox conscription into the army and said he wasn't going to sit with the ultra-Orthodox parties unless they backed down on opposing conscription, which was a condition that sort of came out of left field because Lieberman has sat with the ultra-Orthodox parties before. He's worked with Likud before. He ran on a joint list with Likud in 2013. So, um, you know, in terms of ideological integrity or, or, or honesty or, or however you want to frame it, I don't know that Lieberman, I mean, I'm not saying Lieberman is clearly a secularist. I don't know if this was all about principle and not so much about tightening the screws on Netanyahu, I would venture to say it was the latter. I think that he's enjoying tormenting Netanyahu a little, and that was more the motivating factor. But whatever the case, he ended up refusing to join the coalition, and Netanyahu couldn't get a coalition that would give him immunity. Netanyahu was in a position where he pushed for new elections. And that's what's brought Yisrael Beitenu back to prominence. It's possible that they could double their seats because of that. His stand against the ultra-Orthodox, whether it was superficial or not, uh, has a big appeal with his base. Lieberman is a character in and of himself. He's very ultra-nationalist. Uh, he, he takes these very hard-line stances, um, almost this like cartoonishly authoritarian streak. He's talked about cutting off the heads of dissident uh, Israeli Arab, called for a boycott of Israeli Arab uh, businesses if their business owners protested the, the war in Gaza 20, in 2014. He also has his Lieberman plan for a two-state solution. So he should have Lieberman maybe supports a two-state solution, although he does live in a West Bank settlement in Nokdim. And under the Lieberman plan, you would have two states, but all the Israeli Arab towns would be carved out of Israel and be, would become part of Palestine, and settlements would be part of Israel. So basically, the bottom line here is he, he's not a big fan of the Israeli Arab community. And he's had his own corruption scandals, the thing that makes him different from Netanyahu, as uh, former Meretz leader Zahava Galon noted a couple of months ago is that Lieberman got away with everything he did. Netanyahu might not, but whatever the case, that's where he is now. And, and Lieberman's main audience and Yisrael Beitenu's main audience traditionally were Russian-speaking immigrants from the former Soviet Union. Lieberman himself was born in Moldova, and the secularism issue is a big issue for that community because they've been kind of, they're, they're secular themselves, and they've kind of been tossed around by the religious authorities, by the rabbinate. Um, who some of them they don't consider to be Jewish, even though they might consider themselves Jewish and so on and so forth. So Lieberman's stand against the ultra-Orthodox has been very popular with that base and, and more broadly with secular uh, right-wing Israelis who might not be part of the Russian community, but don't appreciate the hegemony of the ultra-Orthodox and like to see someone stand up to that. And there may also be some element of him standing up to Netanyahu. Anything else? No, that's uh, that's my run-through. That's your run-through. So I think we should just move on to the next next party. I don't have anything to add. You, you did a great, a really great and thorough description of Abisad Beitenu. All right, so going from polar opposites, we're going to move from Lieberman and Yisrael Beitenu, uh, the secular right wing, to the ultra-Orthodox parties. And we'll start with Shas. Shas is the Mizrahi ultra-Orthodox party. Uh, they're led by Aryeh Deri, and they also have a religious leadership, the Council of Torah Sages. 
I think their uh, current spiritual leader is Rabbi Shalom Cohen, although their longtime spiritual leader is the late uh, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, the former chief, uh, late uh, chief Sephardic rabbi of Israel. And if you look at their election posters, uh, he's been dead a couple years, but they're, they're still campaigning as if he's alive. And um, or, or, they, at or, or at least using his, his legacy as like the inspiration of of the party. I mean, yeah, last during the campaign in, in 20, like the April campaign, um, there are a bunch of ads like continuing his way. Yeah. And, um, their, their target audience is, uh, the Mizrahi community. They're the Mizrahi ultra Orthodox community, but they're not just looking for, uh, ultra Orthodox Mizrahi, but also traditional. Uh, unlike, exactly, uh, exactly. Tra- unlike United Torah Judaism, who we'll get to in a second, Shots, shots do uh, get voters who are would probably describe themselves as traditional in terms of their uh, observance of Judaism, but they're usually from uh, they're obviously Mizrahi and usually from like periphery towns and cities like Beersheba or 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 other places. Yeah, and th- there's not a whole lot new to add about them. I mean, uh, Aryeh Derry is always in legal trouble. Um, he has his own corruption problems, uh, kind of in the vein of Lieberman and Netanyahu. Um, I think the police interviewed him again a couple weeks ago in this graft case that's been ongoing for a while. That seems to be a common theme in Israeli politics. The only new thing that I would add is that there is a great movie about us that came out uh, relatively recently called The Unorthodox. I watched it in Israel. I don't know where you can get it here in the United States, but it's really interesting. And if you want a hour and a half dramatized account of Shas in the 1980s, then that's your outlet. But let's move on to United Torah Judaism. Sure. I mean, also, last thing, just Shas or eight eight seats was a pretty uh, big achievement for for Arya Derry, and I think they'll have a tough time holding on to that to that number so something to look out for yeah the 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 ultra orthodox parties collectively had a good showing in April. So let's move on to United Torah Judaism, UTJ. It's the Ashkenazi ultra orthodox list. It's actually a alliance of two Ashkenazi ultra orthodox parties. You have the Hasidic Agudat Yisrael and the non Hasidic or Lithuanian or Litvak uh, Degel HaTorah. Much like Shas, they have a political leadership, um, and then they also have a rabbinical leadership that the political leadership is subordinate to. Moshe Gafni is the uh, political leader of Degel HaTorah, and Yaakov Litzman is the uh, political leader of Agudat Yisrael. Uh, interestingly, in, in making them distinct from Shas, other than that, this is also, again, the Ashkenazi list, they don't really get any support outside of the ultra-Orthodox community. They're also a non-Zionist party. Shas is very much a Zionist party. UTJ is not so in love with this whole secular Jewish state thing, so they'll very often take on positions uh, in ministries that are not really tied to the practice of statecraft. You're never going to see UTJ person as defense minister, foreign minister, defense minister, something like that. The health ministry was their last portfolio, and that's one that makes sense for them. And they also don't take on a full ministership officially. They'll be like deputy minister of health. I think Litzman was the deputy minister of health, and that's kind of their current practice. They also got eight seats in April. Again, strong showing for the ultra-Orthodox. Interestingly, in this upcoming election, where, you know, 
the you've had the undercurrent of religious issues and their uh, spat with Lieberman. Lieberman is now saying that he wants to take the health ministry for Israel Beitenu. So that might be a little bit of jab at the ultra orthodox. And uh, a fun fact that uh, Yaakov Litzman actually he grew up in in East New York and in Borough Park. He also is in trouble now because he was um, apparently shielding a. He was shielding a, this person who was wanted in Australia, I think, um, who was a, a teacher. Mal- head of Malka. A, Malka. Malka. Yeah, it was, she was the head of an ultra-Orthodox school, and, and she was wanted um, for like sexual assault. And, and it was really awful, and he was shielding her from extradition. Really, really terrible. That's kind of where things stand with ultra-Orthodox politics. Um, also, interestingly, we didn't really see this play out in the April election, so it may not be a factor. But the rabbinical leadership hold a pretty strict line in who their constituents are going to vote for. Um, they kind of their constituents kind of take their cues from the rabbis on who to vote for. But in the municipal elections last October, the rabbinical leadership of UTJ couldn't decide on a candidate to support in the Jerusalem city elections. So they let their uh, their voters vote for whoever they wanted, kind of for the first time ever, the first time in a while. So. Um, it was, you know, we were wondering if they were going to surrender that newfound freedom. Um, it looks like they came back home and they voted for UTJ because UTJ had this strong showing. Let's talk about the the Arab parties because we just talked about the ultra-Orthodox. So the Arab parties are another sectoral party. Like, you know, most people who are voting for the joint list, which is the alliance of Arab parties, are Israeli Arabs. There's probably a small constituency of a couple of thousands of maybe tens of thousands of left-wing, far-left uh, Israeli Jewish voters, but this is primarily angled at their audience. And this is also uh, your area of expertise, so I'll just let, I'll let you take it away. Okay, so the joint list, uh, people may remember from 2015, all the Israeli Arab parties, there are four of them, Khadash, Tal, uh, Balad, and the United Arab List, they all ran on one appropriately named joint list, and they secured 13 seats in the Knesset, and they were the third largest faction. But at some point in the 20th Knesset, the list kind of stopped functioning as a unified body. There were disagreements over rotation agreements, uh, which are basically, um, because you have four parties running together, in order to make sure they're equally represented, they had agreed to rotate some of the seats at the bottom of the list between the parties. Every so often, the Balad person would step down and the Khadash person would take their place, or so on and so forth. And people were kind of walking back on those agreements or, or unsatisfied with them and not wanting to fulfill them. So the joint list was basically broken up by the time they called for elections uh, to be held in April. You had Khadash and Tal run as one list and Balad and the United Arab List run as the other faction. So you had two Arab parties in April. April was not a good time for Israeli Arab voters. Turnout was 49%, which is not the lowest it's ever been. That would go to 2001 when it was 18%, uh, but it was still lower than it had been in recent years. And there was this issue of Likud contractors placing hidden cameras in Israeli Arab voting stations as kind of a voter intimidation, voter suppression tactic. And so not a good time. They ended up coming out with 10 seats, six for Khadash and Tal and four for United Arab List and Balad, which was lower than their showing in 2015. 
the conventional wisdom among the Israeli Arab parties was that they should run the joint list again. They came out as the third largest faction in the Knesset in 2015. If they just ran the joint list, then people would be more excited. They would vote for them because there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the Israeli Arab public. People were saying their politicians are petty. They're superficial. if They're just fighting over those rotation agreements. So they're like, let's do the joint list again. And then they just reinforced this image of themselves as petty and superficial because they started fighting over rotation agreements on the 12th and 14th spots on their list, by the way, which are not seats that they'll necessarily get. And it wasn't until the last minute that they finally agreed to band together. So now you have this, the mishmash of Arab parties, you have Khadash, the communist party, Tal, which is a secular nationalist Israeli Arab party, United Arabist, a conservative Islamist party, and Balad, a more radical Arab nationalist party, all running together. And um, it's interesting to see if their logic is going to come to fruition, that, that they will benefit from restoring the joint list. Right now, the polls show them getting better... 10 to 11 seats. Some were even showing a joint list with fewer seats than they had collectively in the April election. So I don't think it's just about having the joint list because when they got 13 seats, that wasn't so much more than they had gotten collectively in 2013 when they were running a separate list. In 2013, the Arab parties, I think, came out with 11 seats. So I don't think it's all about the joint list, but that's my little editorializing. Another thing to note is just that they're very reluctant to sit in a government with the Jewish Zionist parties, and the Jewish Zionist parties are very reluctant to have the Arab parties. Kaholavan basically campaigned on not sitting with any Arab parties on principle, and so the Arab parties didn't recommend anyone as prime minister. And then in this round, Ayman Oda, who's the head of Khadash and the head of the joint list, has said that he won't sit in any coalition that includes Ehud Barak. Ehud Barak, of course, former prime minister, who's now running with this democratic union that we'll talk about later. And his reasoning is presumably because Ehud Barak has a very poor reputation among Israeli Arabs. There was a horrible series of incidents in October 2000. There were protests uh, by Israeli Arab demonstrators, and 12 Israeli Arab citizens and one Palestinian from Gaza were shot by the police and killed. And so Barak has a very bad reputation. He's recently apologized for it. But, you know, again, it's a question of whether that apology will be taken seriously. And presumably for that reason, uh, Ayman Oda is saying that they're not going to sit with Barak, and that essentially rules them out of sitting in a coalition with any of the Jewish Zionist left-wing parties if Barak gets a seat in the Knesset, which is an if. So that's that's the joint list. Okay, it would seem that you could just continue to the Democratic Union because you're talking about Barak. While we're talking about Ehud Barak, again, former prime minister, served from 1999 to 2001. He's, he's been in politics since then. Uh, but he came back with this new Israel Democratic Party, which has now merged with Meret, uh, the leftmost Zionist party in the Knesset, and uh, former Labour MK, now former Labour MK, Stav Shavir, uh, also joined them. So now they have this new alliance called the Democratic Union. It's a new player in Israeli politics. So Eli, why don't you elaborate on where they stand and what they are? This is It's going to be an exciting to watch how this party does. Um, it's an interesting like group of big players on the Israeli left. We have Nitzan Horovitz leading the list, the leader of merits. Um, he campaigned his merits leadership on, on bringing different people and different parties together on the Israeli left. He, he was trying to bring in 
in labor, but obviously Amir Peretz decided to take another route, which we'll talk about in a bit, and join with Gesher's Orly Levy. Second on the list, you have Stav Shafir, who, after her failed leadership run at labor, I think she was just pissed off with Amir Peretz joining up with Orly Levy and kind of moving labor to a party that would focus almost exclusively on social issues in this election. So she saw this as kind of an opportunity to to move parties to to be part of this 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 new coalition or union or however you want to call it. And number three, and I guess this is where where things get surprising. It's not Ehud Barak, even though Ehud Barak is still the face of this campaign. It is Yair Golan, who is Ehud Barak's number two, former major general, deputy chief of staff in in the IDF who was touted to be chief of staff, but obviously he, he made controversial, uh, what were deemed controversial remarks about trends in Germany reflecting trends in Israel, trends uh, during uh, before the Second World War in Germany. And so that got him into some serious he said he said trends in europe i think not in germany and i think people interpreted it as being definitely referring uh, he was definitely referring to germany i think he he said that too and like i mean people can talk about how far i fetched like that that comparison was but but he probably my my point here being a very very talented and well-respected military uh guy who probably uh deserved to be chief of staff, to be fair. But he'll be the number three. And other notable people on the list, you have Noah Rothman, who is Yitzhak Rabin's granddaughter, gave a famous eulogy at his funeral, and her joining politics is is significant. At number 11, we have Stav Shafir, allotted spot, and that's Rabbi Gilad Kariv, who is a reform uh, rabbi. Uh, he also ran in the labor primaries, for, he was on the labor list for the uh, April elections. If I can just make a quick organizational plug, we're going to be having a webinar or video briefing, if you will, about religious issues in the election with Rabbi Gilad Kariv this upcoming Tuesday, August 6th at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And you can register at ipf.li forward slash 806WBNR, or you can find it on our social media, but I just had to throw that in there. And what's nice is that, I mean, it's it's nice to see Gilad Kariv in a realistic spot at number 11, uh, just because obviously issues of pluralism are super important to North American Jews. And if he gets in the Knesset, I think those issues can kind of, at least they'll, they'll be uh, spoken about more frequently in the Knesset and in Israel, which I think is important. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how this party does. They're going to be uh, fighting for votes, to bring votes from Kahol Avan. Obviously, I think they've swallowed a good amount of the, whoever voted for merits and labor in last election. Um, will they be able to bring votes from Kahol Avan? Will they be able to, uh, what will they bring from labor? And also uh, the big question, uh, we talked about the joint list. Um, we know that a significant amount of Arab voters voted for merits in the April elections. Will those voters vote for this democratic uh, union um, or not? You talked about Ehud Barak's controversial uh, history and relationship with Israel's Arabs. He uh, issued a apology about those events that uh, happened in 
in the year 2000. And so it'll be interesting to see if they can carry on or build on that that that, that support. Uh, it will be important. And we'll have to see. I mean, I, I suspect them to be anywhere between 9 and, and 13 seats. I think that's their their range. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah. And, and just a word on his apology. Of course, there are going to be some people who say, why is this apology coming 19 years later when Ehud Barak just happens to be running for election? And I think that's a fair criticism. But we should note this uh, apology was kind of engineered by Emeritus M.K. Asawi Frej, who is himself an Israeli Arab Muslim uh, citizen. And that was very important, I think, for him personally, in order, uh, sort of as a condition for Barack, uniting with Meretz. And I think strategically, I think he, he was trying to start to create a situation where, where maybe Barack running with this list wouldn't be so controversial with his own community. So he really did some heavy lifting. And I won't go into all of it, but there's a great article in Al Monitor about the heavy lifting that Isawi Frej did to get Barack to apologize and to jump through some of these hoops to allay some of the controversy, not all of the controversy, or at least start to uh, dial back some of the heat around Barack within the Arab community. And also, I think another part of that is, I mean, I mentioned it, Yair Golan is number three. That's the highest position on the list from uh, Israel Democratic Party, the party that Barack uh, brought in. Ehud Barak is at number 10. Um, so... Uh, he's right on the edge of where of where the democratic union will be. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's if he he even gets in. Yeah, and of course, uh, Barack also had his his Jeffrey Epstein affiliations, and and in a lot of ways, it, it was you know there was a lot of worry, and, and and understandably so, of what kinds of baggage Barack brings to this party, which is otherwise a very you know, it's a potentially inspiring phenomenon in Israeli politics that this new left-wing alliance finally came about. So let's go go to our next party. You were talking about the split between Stav Shafir and the Labor Party. The Labor Party is still running. They're now running an alliance with Gesher. So Eli, can you tell us a little bit about Labor Gesher? Sure. So Labor Gesher, obviously the merger between Amir Peretz and uh, who, who won the labor leadership race um, in the beginning of July, uh, and Orly Levy's Gesher party, uh, Orly Levy, who started off as a Israel Betenu MK, and uh, she then left to form her own party, which was, was Gesher, uh, the name that the, the party of her father uh, had, David Levy, uh, after he left the Likud. And so... They were widely expected. I mean, when she announced the party, there was a lot of excitement, and she was pulling over over the threshold comfortably. But then, I mean, when Kahol Lavan uh, entered uh, the fray, and you had a lot of and, and uh, Benny Gantz, and you had a lot of the big parties kind of suck a lot of the votes. Gesher kind of uh, disappeared, and they finished with, I believe, it was uh, seventy, eighty thousand votes. Um, obviously, not enough to cross the threshold. But Orly Levy remains uh, very popular across the political uh, spectrum in Israel for her work on social issues, especially health care. And Amir Peretz is also a, uh, a guy who has this association, I mean, with uh, the Histadrut, which is Israel's uh, la- like main labor you know, like union. What I'm trying to say is this is kind of a, a match that makes a lot of sense. 
uh, for both of them. But it means that labor is it, it, labor gesher are not going to be focused on the political issues, the Palestinian issue. Don't expect to hear anything um, unless they're specifically asked. I mean, Orly Levy's been asked because she comes from the right. She's been asked about two states um, and if she's fine with it. And she's, she has said yes, and she views that as the only uh, solution and that it's just not around the corner. And whenever she says that, she says Netanyahu also said he supports the two-state solution. Right, which is which is kind of a weak case because we know that he was dragged into supporting it, kicking and screaming. I mean, that's how she's justifying it. But I think she is. I don't think she has strong views on the Palestinian issue. So I don't think she. it's going to make or break anything for her. I think she'll just leave that to other people in the party. And you have to remember, too, she's bringing... So she has three spots I believe in the top ten, it's either three or two spots. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but there's also we still have uh, high profile uh, labor MKs uh, that are that are there. We there was talk that Itzik Shmuli may leave, um, but he's staying, and so that's that's big. He's number three in the party, a very popular MK. Merav Mikhaeli is there, Omer Barlev is there. Obviously, Shalia Khimovich uh, uh, retired uh, from politics. But I mean, there's still a party that that I think they're, I think they'll be definitely be able to stay over the, the threshold. The question is, will Amir Peretz and Orly Levy be able to bring in new, new voters, bring in voters from outside of what are traditionally labor party centers? Will they be able to bring from periphery towns? Uh, Amir Peretz did very well in the 2006 elections when he led labor and he won cities like Kiryat Shmona and he did very well in Sterot, where he's from. These are cities where Labor and Kaholavan in the April elections were virtually non-existent. So the question here is how many votes can he take from from the Likud, if he can take any, if he can kind of change the composition of the electoral. And so I think that that's the big question for, for Labor Gesher. And from polls we've seen, we haven't seen them uh, below the threshold. We've seen them at around five or six. We'll have to see if they can do it. It's going to be a it's going to be a big challenge, um, and this is a big risk, obviously, for labor. But it's a risk that could pay off, or or it could fail. So that's again something to watch. Also, you know, it's just driving home that risk. They they really risked a lot with labor's traditional left wing base. A lot of people were upset with the way Avi Gabai, uh, the previous Labor Party leader and one of Eli's political heroes in Israel. Uh, had handled things and tried to take the party in a more right-wing direction. And so, you know, to sort of do this again, it's not the same as what Gabai was doing, because this is more focusing on socioeconomic issues. But I think it's perceived by a lot of people as taking the party in a right-wing direction. If you look at a lot of comments on, like, Labor Party social media platforms, a lot of responses, people uh, bring up that Orly Levy was a member of Yisrael Beitenu, and they're like, oh, she was a part of Lieberman's party, and Lieberman is so crazy right-wing, and so... But I would I would also say, I, not necessarily, I mean, I've heard, I, I've heard a lot, not about this taking labor to the right, but to kind of remove labor's role as a, a, a party that can lead Israel and kind of change it into a completely a niche social 
party. I mean, we're ta- again, talking about. Well, I, I, I don't think that's Amir Peretz's fault. I think that that's kind of done already. I mean, they got six. Well, seats I mean, if I talk to you about before the last election uh, and talk to you about the 2015 election, uh, Labor kind of set itself up to be a party to replace Netanyahu, and now we're talking about uh, four, four years later. They're in a spot where they're uh, going to fight for six or seven seats uh, tops. And a lot can change in four years. So let's let's now, I think we should move on to our final party. Uh, last, but certainly not least, because they got a lot of seats, Kachol Lavan, Benny Gantz and friends. So this is uh, the, the obviously the party that plans to replace Netanyahu in leading Israel, the four... Heavyweights, should we call them? Benny Gantz, uh, Yair Lapid, Gabi Ashkenazi, and, and Bogi Alon, three former uh, chiefs of staff, one former finance minister, TV star, television broadcaster, uh, television broadcaster uh, army journalist, boxer, amateur boxer. Together, uh, the. Never got a university degree. Never got a university degree, but. But but to his credit, a successful Israeli politician, I think it's it's fair to say. We're talking about Yair Lapid, by the way. A much better politician than boxer, definitely. Going to be interesting. I mean, this is... I don't think anybody expected them to, f- to finish with 35 seats. It uh, wasn't enough to form a government. But, but they have a... They have really cemented themselves as the... The, the only alternative to Netanyahu. To their credit, um, there's not going to be, uh, none of these other parties we're talking about are going to be close to Likud. The party that forms the next government is either going to be Likud or Kaholavan. It's a question of can Kaholavan, can they, uh, first of all, they have to find some momentum. They're not going to have an announcement. They didn't have their announcement of a merger in this campaign that came in the last election. That, that kind of has passed. Um, for, for almost not saying anything, they have really done uh, a good job of staying neck and neck with the Likud in, in all the polls. Um, that's definitely an encouraging sign. The question is, what can they do in terms of their campaign, their messaging? How can they change? Where can they bring new, new voters from? Um, how can they do it? Benny Gantz is had some uh, off moments. Uh, we spoke about one, uh, it feels like a day ago, but it was at the beginning of the podcast. Can they bring in new voters? And if they can, then they can They can possibly be the ones to form the next government and Benny Gantz can be Israel's next prime minister. But again, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. They have, uh, I think, a tough task ahead. Yes, and, and as always, they're a little light on substance, which isn't necessarily a dig. It may be a strategy for Kaholavan and uh, maybe they need you as the number five. I just thought about that now. I mean, would you give up your uh, American citizenship, make Aliyah? You just listed a whole bunch of things I wouldn't do. So you would not. So the offer, the offer comes in. The letter comes in to the Israel Policy Policy Forum office tomorrow signed by the four of them saying evan please join us i'm pretty happy here actually i'll i'll, I'll say about israel policy so forum. you'd say so, you'd so say no but obviously I, w- I would continue doing the israel policy pod podcast from this closet in our new york office for the rest of my days so you would de- 
you would decline you would decline that offer um so anything do you have anything to add about kaholavan no what i do have to add is that if you are all not tired of me and eli at this point then you can continue to check out elections resources on our elections website, the 120 Project at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash elections two. That's the number two. And we will catch you next time on Israel Policy Pod.